You are listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, where it's all about responding with confidence to the legal, financial, and personal challenges created by disability, unexpected illness, or simply aging in general. Join us weekly as elder law attorneys Tim Takis, Barbara McGinnis, Chris Johnson, and other members of the Takis McGinnis Elder Care Law Team talk about the tools, techniques, strategies, and services that will make the elder care journey easier for everyone involved. Get ready, because aging starts now. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode number 25 of the Aging Starts Now podcast. I'm your host, Chris Johnson, and today we're talking about what to do after losing a loved one. Joining us today is Molly Locker, founder of Sunny Care Services. Molly, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, we're very excited to have you. This is a difficult conversation because these are things that uh, people don't want to talk about. It's a it's a hard conversation to have because people just don't want to have that thought of mom or dad passing away. And what happens is uh, it leaves them ill-prepared sometimes for what to do when a parent or other loved one uh, passes away. And that's not a position that you want to find yourself in. So it's wonderful that there are people out there like you who provide these services. And I thought the best place to start would be for you just to provide an overview of the services that you do. Yeah, absolutely. So I started um, my business just out of my own personal need for something like this because we had lost my brother-in-law when he was fairly young. He was only 42 at the time and um, just didn't know what to do after he passed away. And um, after doing a lot of research, discovered a lot of families feel this very same way of just what are all the tasks that need to be done um, and who's going to walk you through that? And is there someone that can just do this for you? So what Sunny Care Services started off doing was just what I call after loss support. So this is essentially taking on all of those tasks that come with closing out a loved one's life. That's closing out accounts, that's calling credit card companies, kicking off life insurance claims, selling off property, all of those tasks we did on behalf of the family and specifically on behalf of the executor. Uh, We then have since added some wraparound services just based on what our clients have needed. And it kind of runs the gamut of what I describe as um, handling just different issues with um, aging and loss of our loved ones. So we also help families with the senior living transition simply because we saw that a lot of our family um, members and clients that we worked with had a family uh, member who now needed to move to senior living because they lost a spouse or they lost their caregiver or whatever that may look like. And of course, that's a lot of logistics that are involved in that. We also help with estate organization because we also saw that when you lose a loved one, you typically find yourself without any kind of estate planning done. So we help have you uh, find you an estate planning attorney. We help find um, a good place for you to you know, store all of your documents, all of your information, whether that's online or in print version. Um, we make sure that you're communicating that with your family, just having those important conversations like you talked about. Um, and then our final uh, kind of wraparound service was actually now serving as executor for families. So instead of serving on behalf of an executor, if a family actually just needs to name us as the named executor to take care of everything for the family and closing out of the state, we can do that as well. 
That is incredible. That is that is a wide variety of services that you guys provide. And I, I think it's incredibly fascinating that this came about <clears throat> due to the own the personal tragedy within your family. The uh, so when that happened, if it's okay if I ask the uh, when did you realize that you guys were kind of over your skis, if you will? I mean, gosh, I think it was probably day one, um, you know, because the loss was, I describe it as sudden, but not unexpected. He had been fairly sick for really almost all of his life. He was, um, he had childhood cancer. And of course that just leads to adult complications. So my point in saying that all is to say, Certainly, we were a very good candidate for having preparation kind of conversations. But, you know, as many families feel, it's just too close. It's too real. We can't discuss these things. Um, and so I feel like really after um, my brother-in-law passed away, it seemed like we started to really feel like we were <laughs> in over our skis, as you say, um, in the first couple weeks after the services. Because, you know, your funeral director typically is really helpful about getting you kind of taken care of up until that point. But then I think after the services end and the dust kind of settles, that's when you really start to panic almost of, okay, now what are we supposed to be doing? And the reality really sets in. Um, and, and you just feel also that, that grief fog of just, I don't know how to even get started with some of these things or what I should be doing. So I think that was our experience. And what I've heard from other families is it's uh, really similar for them as well. Yeah, that really lays it out. It, and and hearing that kind of that waypoint that after the services and feeling like you're lost and, and the fog of grief, I, I think most people don't think about that, about it is going to be difficult to do anything at this mm -hmm. time period when you're going through such a difficult time in your family and to try and do something that you've never done before and be good at it is a, is a very tall task. The, uh, so let's let's talk a little more about um, what are the first things someone should do when a loved one passes. What are the first steps out of the gate? Yeah, of course. And so again, we kind of take on um, after a service. The services are complete, um, and so we always recommend when our clients initially reach out to us is while most funeral homes will contact Social Security on behalf of your lost loved one, I always recommend it's smart to double check on that just to ensure that Social Security did stop payments if they were coming, but then also to start the process of survivor benefits. Um, I actually have a few clients that weren't aware that they were eligible for survivor benefits. Um, and gosh, that's just um, a really big financial help or a financial help, I should say, uh, for people if they're eligible for it that they didn't know about and is certainly something that you want to get started sooner rather than later. Um, I also say kicking off processes that could take some time in terms of, you know, getting access to assets, things like letting the life insurance company know is always really helpful. Um, securing the actual physical property. Um, you know, if this is the last person who lived in the home that passed away, you want to make sure that you're making sure that that home is secure. Cause of course there's just people who are predators that are looking and checking obituaries and taking advantage, unfortunately of families who've recently lost someone and know that that house is vacant. So securing that securing valuables 
getting everything out of that refrigerator, you know, just perishables and things like that that can really um, just be problematic if you leave them in the home. Uh, And then I say it's always good in the beginning to just start gathering documents as you start finding them or getting them in the mail, whatever that looks like, you know, things that are really helpful for me to look at when I'm helping a family are things like bank statements and credit card statements and life insurance policies and uh, any kind of insurance policy, really just all of those tax documents, you name it, just start compiling those as you come across them. So it's less of a headache when we actually need to sit down and review them. That, that is really great. That is very comprehensive. The, uh, do you provide them a checklist? That's a lot of information to digest. Do they, do they get something where they can start checking this off and feeling like they're moving forward? Yeah, absolutely. I do provide a checklist that kind of lists everything that I think is critical and then what can be tackled in the next coming weeks months. Um, and then of course, what do you need to consult an attorney before you take action on? So I kind of break it into those categories for families because it is, it's a lot to digest. It really is. The uh, So what are the things we've kind of gone over the, the big first things? What are the things that people miss? What are the mistakes people make that you commonly see that you're like, oh, if I could get the word out on this and, and it would really be helpful for people? Yeah, so I have really noticed a rise in dealing with online accounts for my clients. Um, So, you know, typically when we think about the elderly, we may not associate them with technology per se, but most of my clients have at least had one email account, if not more. Um, And so, of course, as the generations that are rising up, begin to pass away, that becomes more and more prevalent because so much of our lives are now online. And so what that then leads to is leaving a lot of vulnerability when we pass away. So we have um, accounts that are associated with our names. They have our passwords. And if unless you're a really secure per- person, which I do, of course, recommend everybody do this, but unless you have different passwords for every account, uh, which I've yet to meet someone that's done that, um, then you typically do share passwords among accounts, which can leave you vulnerable to hackers. And of course, if you if you are, are no longer here, then you're not watching those accounts to make sure nothing is happening or hackers are accessing them. So I feel like it is really um, an often forgotten thing to tackle these online accounts for all of those reasons, in addition to the fact that Gosh, there are so many accounts that are now associated with our credit card. And so, you know, I work with families in terms of taking care of credit cards and making sure there are no loose ends. But that happens after some time because we have to make sure that all transactions are cleared out. And we've we've kind of cleared up all of the services that are coming and being charged out of that account, um, getting name switched over, all of that. So that credit card can be left up for some time. Um, and you certainly don't want someone accessing that Um you know, again, just from like a hacking standpoint. So I say online accounts is so often forgotten, but is containing so much valuable information about us. And then in addition to that, kind of like as a subset of online accounts, people very much forget about the payment transfer applications these days. And what I mean by that is things like Venmo and PayPal and Cash App. Um, these are, if you're not familiar, are services that you can essentially 
trade, uh, uh, for lack of a better term, money and transactions with others. So you are able to pay for services out of these um, out of these services. You're able to receive money out of these services um, from friends or from you know other things. And so a lot of folks that I work with typically forget about those. And I have found balances for a lot of my clients uh, before in terms of just forgotten balances that were left on those accounts. Um, and in addition, there are some times where specifically with PayPal, they'll leave a reoccurring subscription tied to PayPal. And so that money is constantly being drawn out and it's hard to target it because it just kind of falls under the greater umbrella of PayPal. So those are some big things that I think people forget. And then just kind of segueing into um, just overall reoccurring services and subscriptions. Another big thing that I do for families is I am systematically looking through every thing that could indicate a service or subscription tied to the person that is uh, no longer here and what we can close out for them. Because oftentimes these are services and subscriptions that are not needed because the person's no longer here. And it's just sucking up a lot of uh, cash for the family that they could be using elsewhere. Um, so I like to make sure to remind my families to look through that if um, if they haven't already. And then, of course, I take um, a, a look at everything to make sure we haven't missed anything. Got it. Got it. And the, uh, what about control of things like uh, social media, Facebook and Twitter, yeah. and now they've Instagram and all, all the new ones. Uh, do you have any recommendations regarding those? Absolutely. So most of those services offer a archiving or a memorialization of the account. And so I recommend that we do that as soon as possible, just because it leaves the account up typically. So with regard to Facebook and Instagram, the memorialization of an account will leave the profile up. It will leave the pictures up. It will leave the wall up so people can still write things, but it will no longer allow anyone to access the account on the back end, meaning no one would be able to log in as this person that's no longer here. And that just makes sure that the account is locked down. And again, going back to this hacking concern that there's no one hacking in. Um, I like to tell the story um, of an unfortunate situation that I experienced where my father had passed away. It'll be eight years this year. And he actually sent me a Facebook message two years ago. Um, and so that was because cool. we had not shut down his Facebook account. And so hackers has, had accessed his Facebook profile. Thankfully, there wasn't much to get in there, but you just never know. And it certainly does happen. And I am case in point, just, uh, you know, someone that experienced that myself. So I think it is important to go in there and memorialize or shut the account down when you can. That really is. Now, in today's day and world, sometimes the world can be a little bit of an ugly place. When they archive the account, you said it leaves the wall up and lets people still make comments, but no one can really access the account. What if someone left a message that wasn't pleasant or hurtful? Is there any way they can handle that? Yeah, that's a great question. And I actually have not experienced that before. Um, I do believe that there is a review capability that Facebook offers in which you can review what people have said on the um on the wall before it's officially posted. Um, but that's a great question. I need to actually look into that more. Cool. Yeah. So what are the things, looking at all of this and, and how overwhelming a task that is for those that are left behind, 
What 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 should we all be doing now, uh, so that when while we're alive and well, we make things easier for those who we leave behind? What are the steps? What things should we be doing? Right. Well, I think that goes um, without saying that, you know, estate planning with your your estate attorney is a must, of course, and getting all of your basic legal documents together, whether that's POAs, wills, trusts, whatever that looks like, whatever your attorney recommends, that is the bare minimum that I tell people to to think about and reach out to their attorney for. Um, But outside of that, I say the simplest thing you can do is just have a conversation. I work with so many families where they never discussed any kind of opportunity or, um, you know, option for loss. And so what it looks like then is when, let's say, their father passes, they never knew what he would have liked in terms of burial or cremation or what he wanted done with that, that specific antique desk that he had in his office. Um, And so it creates a lot of chaos and it creates a lot of tension in families because there's so much unknown and everyone is going to have a different perspective of what is the best and honoring thing of that person's life. Um, And I see it so many times again. So I say bare minimum, at least just communicate to someone you trust what you want done with your body, what you want done with your things and your assets. You know, I'm hoping you have already taken care of the legal side of things, but bare minimum, have a conversation. Um, I also say things like, you know, when I am working with families, the main thing I need access to in order to do my job well for families is their cell phone. Um, and specifically, if they have a smartphone, if they don't, then um, then certainly like email and other devices are helpful. But a smartphone, if that person had one, is the most important tool I can use in order to do my job well and close out the accounts that need to be taken care of. So sharing that unlock code with a trusted loved one, because as you all know, um, Chris, and I'm sure many of the listeners, these device companies like Apple do not share that information, even under any legal circumstances, criminal activity. Um, And so you can't get access to that phone typically if you have no way of unlocking it. So I say bare minimum sharing the unlock code to that phone is so helpful. Um, There are also little things you can do. Like if someone has a Gmail account, for instance, they can um, have a certain uh, setting set up in that account called inactive account user. And what that does essentially is that it uh, allows you to assign someone to receive your Gmail and overall Google suite data if anything were to happen to you and if your account were to go, you know, quote unquote, inactive for a certain amount of time. So you think about things like your Google Docs, your Google Photos, if you have like Google Business set up, um, you know, your whole Google Drive, you can select who can receive that information upon your passing. And that is so helpful. Again, like let's say if somebody didn't share an unlock code to their phone, if they had that inactive account manager set up in Gmail, then theoretically that person that they've assigned could receive a download and zip drive of all of that information. So there's at least somewhere to start in terms of backing into what are we dealing with? What do we need to close out? 
Who are the trusted confidants for this person? All of that. Um, so those are some kind of simple things. I, of course, offer a service I mentioned earlier that's a state organization. And so what I do is I actually use a tool along with that service offering called Everplans. I'm a big advocate of Everplans. It is essentially an online repository for estate-related information. And it is so thorough in walking you through all of the little known things that you would need to share with a family member if something were to happen to you. So it walks you through things like what is the unlock code to your phone? Where do you store all of that um, those documents that we would need access to if that's titles and deeds. It even goes into, okay, what property do you have in your name? How do you run that property? What utilities do you have for that property? Who are the servicemen for that property? Um, what online accounts do you have? What social media accounts do you have? So as opposed to me having to kind of excavate all of this information for my families that I work with, it's all laid out there in the Everplans um, tool, which I think is just incredible. So that's kind of the stair-stepping of like simple steps to, uh, you know, more intricate steps, but certainly all worthwhile. Oh, absolutely. You've really laid out a great roadmap for our listeners. This is utterly incredible that Everplans uh, and just step-by-step uh, what needs to happen. And, and I think for everybody listening, there is a lot, a lot that can be done to make everyone else's life a little bit easier during some really trying times. So that's it for today's episode. I'd like to thank Molly Locker from Sunny Care Services for joining us. Please join us next week as we discuss more issues related to aging. Thank you for listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast. For more information about today's show, visit tn-elderlaw.com, click on the free resources tab, and then click on Aging Starts Now. You'll find the show notes there. And while you're at it, why not check out all the free resources available at tn-elderlaw.com? Document downloads, the Tagus McGinnis blog, educational videos, informative articles, helpful links, a TV show, and more. It's all there free for the taking. If you enjoy listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, please subscribe, rate the show, or leave us a review. It's easy to do on whatever app you use to listen. We would love your feedback on the show. Aging Starts Now. We'll be back next week with more candid discussions about challenges created by aging, disability, and unexpected illness. 